Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, this is Tristan Nunez, driver of the 7-0 Skyactiv Monster Prototype, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the August 3rd edition of Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder, the most hardcore motorsports program on the internet. This is episode 116 of the series. I'm your host, Adam Jason Sinclair, and on tonight's program, Michael Mullally and myself will review this past weekend of racing and chat about whatever other exciting news of the world of modern motorsports pops into the conversation. Let's start with a brief review of last week's big news. Lucas Degrassi is the new FIA Formula E champion after taking a solid 7th place finish in the Hydro-Quebec Montreal E-Prix. With his title rival Sebastian Boumi injured another toward afternoon, Degrassi was able to play the percentages, keep out of trouble, and bring his ABT Schaeffler Audi sport car home safely for the six points that were more than enough to wrap up the championship. After being drawn in first group and qualifying, Boumi found himself on the back foot once more, and a mistake on his flying lap meant he started 13th. But only a podium finish would be enough to even keep his title hopes alive. His tough weekend continued when Antonio Felix Acosta tagged the back of his car as the field scrambled to avoid the T-Cheetah of Stefan Sarazen, which had been tapped into a spin at the first corner of the opening lap. The contact was minimal but damaged the right rear wheel guard. With the bodywork flaying in the wind, the Renault E-Dams driver was shown the black and orange flag, which indicates a mechanical problem. Fuemi was instructed to pit for repairs, and as the part dislodged itself on track, it took only a moment for the team to check the car before returning to the circuit. In typically determined fashion, he fought his way back to 11th, but any hopes of the title were gone. Up at the front, Felix rose in... Rosen, gosh, led the way after taking Julius Baer's pole position. The Mahindra driver was running clear at the front, but he was also using more energy than John Eric Verne, who was in second after jumping DS Virgin Racing Sandberg at the start. The teaching the driver's bare edgy contention meant that he was able to stop a lap later than Rosenquist, but when he emerged from the mandatory car swap, he was over six seconds behind. But with more energy to play with, he soon closed that lead right down. Rosenquist, with an eye on third in the championship, was more concerned with beating Bird than getting into battle with Verne, and couldn't prevent the Frenchman's charge. Once ahead, Verne quickly established a lead that allowed him to bring home his and the team's first Formula E win. After starting back in 11th, Jose Maria Lopez wasn't looking of a podium finish before the start of the race, but his DS Virgin racing car was in flying form, and he carved his way up the order making overtaking look easy on the fantastic Montreal street circuit, he ended his season on a high with his second podium and third place. Bird bent his steering with an early brush with the wall, but was still able to take fourth, while Nick Heidfeld spent most of the race swapping places with the DS Virgin drivers before finally finishing fifth. In the closing stages, Degrassi backed off and allowed his teammate Daniel Apt to retake the sixth place he'd conceded to the new champion after the pit stops while Saracen charged back up to eighth after his opening lap misfortune, which had le- also left him with suspension damage. Jerome D'Ambrosio was ninth, Tim Dillman was tenth, 
while Nico Prost picked up a point by setting the Visa fastest lap. This meant that Renault Edams kept its amazing record of having scored a point in every Formula E race, but more importantly, that for the third season in a row, it secured the team's championship. The Hydro Quebec Montreal E-Prix was a huge success with fast grandstands, enthusiastic fans, and the track that the drivers loved. The FIA Formula E Championship now embarks on a long summer break before bursting back into action with the Hong Kong E-Prix, which kicks off Season 4 on December 2nd and 3rd. Be sure to visit SpeedwayDigest.com for even more news about the world of Formula E. Our first guest this evening is Derek DeBoer. Derek is racing running through his veins. He grew up in Ashland, Oregon, in a family where racing and the love of cars was very much the center of everyday life. Derek's grandfather raced in the local dirt car circuit, and his father followed, albeit in top alcohol dragsters, racing in a straight line. It was when Derek was in college at Oregon State University that he moved into competitive sports, first in wakeboarding at the pro level as a liquid force team rider. He married the love of his wife, Brooke, soon after graduating, and together 18 years later, they're still chasing dreams along with their three beautiful daughters, Paige, Kaylee, and Ryan. Those dreams have always included professional auto racing. Brooke asked Derek what he loved to do, and racing was the natural answer. As a result, Derek's racing career began 17 years ago at Laguna Seca and the Formula Dodge. Derek has raced in the competitive Formula Renault Open Wheel Series and spent several years in the SP class of Grand Am. No stranger to the world of endurance racing, Derek won at the 2015 Le Mans Aston Martin Festival race, had his first shot at the Rolex 24 Hours at Daytona the same year, and has raced multiple times in the 24 Hour of Thunderhill. He's also competed in multiple Continental Tire Series races. Derek found a home racing for the Racers Group in Aston Martins in 2013 and at a Lamborghini in 2015. He is always a threatening contender in the Farley World Challenge, racing in the GTS and Sprint X categories, consistently coming away with good finishes and podiums. Derek has had a breakout year in 2016, and season highlights include wins at Road America and Utah Motorsports Campus, as well as podium finishes in Laguna Seca and Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. Since his last appearance on the show, it has been announced that he'll be co-driving the number 9 Aston Martin V8 Vantage for PWC Sprint X at Circuit of the Americas, September 2nd and 3rd, as well as co-driving the same car for the California 8-hour at Laguna Seca, October 14th and 15th. A lot is in the works for 2018 as well, but it's a little too early to know what's going on, to, what's going to land. He can say with confidence that he'll likely have his second 24-hour at Daytona start, though. We're now happy to welcome Derek back to the program. How are you doing this evening? Hey, thanks for having me back on. I'm doing really well. How about you guys? Not too bad. A little toasty out there. A little, not quite as toasty as it is up in your neck of the woods, though. Yeah, we're trying our best to stay indoors. Yeah. Can you compare how the car is prepared for the Pirelli World Challenge as opposed to the IMSA GT Series? Yes, I can. I, and it would depend on which car we're talking about. I've got most experience, you know, in the GT4 cars. I've ran them both mm-hmm. in the Continental Tire form as well as the Pirelli form. Um, in Pirelli form, we've got a lot more aero, a lot bigger rear wing, and a lot bigger front splitter. And then just the characteristics of the tires are a lot different. Um, the Pirellis tend to be a little bit faster for a single lap. They tend to last uh, a little bit longer than the Continental tires do. 
And so the car in Pirelli format is what I have the most experience in. I have not got to experience the GT3 car in Pirelli format, but um, I can only imagine because it's an absolute monster um, on the IMSA side, and I can't wait to get back in it again. How do you feel about the decision of Porsche to depart from WEC P-Well competition? And do you think it will affect their programs in the United States at all? Well, the uh, the greedy self-promoting race car driver side of me at first got kind of excited, thinking that it uh, might free up some budget that might flow to the GT racing side of things or open up some other opportunities. But then the realistic side of me uh, thought about how expensive it will probably be to, to jump ship and start a whole Formula E program. But, you know, I think it's just, uh, you know, it's clear that Porsche has a, has a focus and a commitment on hybrid technology. So, uh, you know, it makes sense to jump over to there. And, you know, they've been successful at the pinnacle over in WEC for so long, and this will this will give them a new challenge and a, and a way to use racing what it was for, right? I mean, it's, it's develop, to develop the technology that goes into, into the road cars that we all see on the streets every day. So uh, in a way, I applaud them, and I, I hope that it uh, will maybe uh, open up some GT racing opportunities as well. Which type of sports car racing do you prefer, sprints or endurance, and why? You know, my initial draw into sports cars was in the endurance side, and I, I still say that uh, you know that's where I would prefer to be. I love the I love the long races. I love the physical aspect of it, but I love how much it uh, it ties in the team aspect. There's so much more that goes into it. You know, every single part from preparation and, and how well the, the car is set up and, you know, the pit stops and all the guys and just the camaraderie that, that goes along with that, um, you know, sharing a car with other drivers really adds a whole different dynamic into it. Um, you know, there's some nice parts about sprint racing. You're, you're the only guy to blame and uh, the guy that gets to celebrate the, the success, but, um, you know, also has a lot of team behind it, but, uh, yeah, I like the strategy and teamwork that goes into a, a big, long endurance race, for sure. With the intense summer heat, especially in the Pacific or Northwest, have you been spending more time in your wakeboard lately? Yeah, actually, we have had a, a, a lot of time on the water this family or this uh, summer. My whole family's into it, so that kind of helps. The girls are always uh, pushing to get out behind the boat somewhere. So we uh, just in the in the last uh, two weeks, we actually spent time with my team owner, Kevin Buckler, and his whole family out on a on the water for a weekend of wakeboarding. So it is a good go-to when it's 110 degrees outside. Yeah. And one last question. Would you, with your drag racing roots, will you be attending the Northwest Nationals this weekend? Ooh, I don't know. Does anybody have anything for me to drive up there? I would certainly one more time. to. Uh, does anybody have anything for me to drive up there? I, I'm, I'm used <laughs> to going left and right, but I could aim something down a straight line, I think. There you go. Now, I'd like to toss you out to my co-host, Michael Mullally, who will actually be at the Northwest Nationals covering the event for us there, who has a couple of questions for you as well. Fantastic. Thank you, Adam. So my first question is, where do you see your racing career in the next couple of years? No, I, I actually think that it's going to uh, continue and for the better. I've, you know, my goals have been to have a, you know, a full season in front of me and a lot of the partnerships that, that I've been able to form have, have grown and we've got a couple of new ones that are coming aboard that are, you know, a part of me doing the Sprint X race at, at COTA and the California 8-Hour and this, um, you know, I'm pretty excited to have a, 
a big opportunity at Daytona again next year and see that as a big start to the season. And uh, so I, I see a full season with TRG ahead of me next year, which I'm really excited about. And what are some important things you have been able to take from your racing career throughout the years? You know, it's been the uh, the spirit of, of never giving up and, and being willing to put the work in. You know, racing is a really difficult business, and there's a lot of people that, that want to be in it. And from the outside, it, it, it looks like it's fairly easy to do if you know the right people, and it, it's just so much more than that. It's, it's I've really learned a lot about nurturing relationships and, um, you know, being pretty forward with, with what I want to do and where I want to go and, and not being afraid to attack it head on. So I, I think that's some of the big takeaways that I have. And you said that your family was really heavily involved with racing when you were growing up. Who did you most look up to when you when you first got into racing? Yeah, certainly. I think the the love for the sport probably came from me uh, chasing my dad around. He was out, you know, racing the top alcohol dragsters, and I uh, spent many a weekends, you know, helping to. I got to be the guy to help wax and clean the dragster, and I'd be rewarded with getting to sit in the driver's seat and uh, follow the, the tow truck back to the pits in it. So that was uh, really, I think, where my passion for the sport began. And as of right now, do you feel like like your family, Do you, how, I don't know how to word this, do you kind of essentially feel like, you know, how you felt when you were growing up with your dad racing, do you kind of do you kind of feel that way with your family now? Yeah, I know that um, you know I'm I'm very blessed and lucky that that they like to be at the racetrack. You know, we wouldn't be here without without my wife Brooke and how much she encourages it to happen and helps to make it happen. You know, there are times where they can't be here and she holds the fort down at home, but most of the time they're at the track and. The girls definitely, uh, you know, they love the cool factor of it, and they like to be a part of it. You know, my my oldest daughter hasn't uh, expressed an interest to race herself. My youngest daughter has certainly said that you won't catch her driving a race car, but it wasn't uh, too long ago that my middle daughter said, hey, Dad, it might be kind of cool to try to co-drive a race with you someday. So now I'm kind of pinching myself and wondering what I got started, probably similar to what, what my dad did when he found out that I was going to be doing this stuff. <laughs> well, my final question for you, it's kind of a popular question. I find myself asking it a lot, but you get some cool answers. If you could give advice to anybody looking to get started in the sport, what advice would you give them? Just to not be afraid to jump in and, and not be afraid to do it at, at whatever level is attainable to you. You know, it's certainly a, it's an expensive sport and it's sometimes become such a hurdle for people that they don't ever get started. And I think you just have to get started. Even if it's going to buy a $10 session at your local go-karting track, if that's all you can do, go and do that and put in the work to keep going to the, you know, to the next level. There's lots of entry level racing this, these days that, you know, even, you know, at a, at a beginning job, you know, I think you could save up some nickels and dimes and go get yourself into a race car and just, you know, meet the right people, 
be available, be willing to do the hard work, and and there will be a spot for you somewhere. Well, we'd like to thank you for coming on this evening, and we look forward to talking to your wife, Brooke, in a few more in a few minutes. Thanks a lot. Nice hanging out with you guys. Did you know that the number 18 Joe Gibbs Racing driver will go for a second straight win in Sunday's I Love New York 335 at the Glen at Watkins Lane International, which we broadcast at 3 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC Sportsnet, MRN, and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio? Bush boasts two wins, five top fives, and ten top tens in 12 starts at the Central New York Road Course. Among active drivers at WGI, Bush has the top average running position, 11.2, best driver rating of 110.4, and second best average finish of 10.0. Last year's series runner-up, Logano, has made the championship four in two of the three years it's been implemented. The one year Logano did make the championship four, 2015, he led the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series with six wins. The upcoming stretch of the schedule before the end of the regular season should be considered the most treacherous of fortuitous to a competitor's championship hopes. Final seven tracks of the regular season are quite diverse as the series will face three road courses, Watkins Glen, Mid-Ohio, and Road America, two short tracks, Crystal and Richmond, an egg-shaped track, Darlington, and the 1.5-mile speedway, Chicago, to decide the 12 drivers who will make the NASCAR Xfinity Series playoffs. Only seven races remain till the NASCAR Xfinity Series playoffs start, and with only three championship contenders with wins this season, nine spots are up for grabs to make the playoffs. Three drivers outside the NASCAR Xfinity Series playoffs with the best chance to still make the postseason on points are J.J. Gailey, who's currently 13th, Ryan Sieg, 14th, and Ross Chastain, who's 15th. All three drivers are within 32 points of Brendan Gone in the 12th and final playoff spot following Iowa. Starting from the pole position, Thorsport Racing driver Ben Rhodes scored his best finish of the season when he placed second in the Overton's 150 at Pocono Raceway. Rhodes' 21 means 21 pole award at Pocono was the second of his career. We look forward to the racing this weekend, and hopefully it'll be a good race there at Watkins Glen. Our next guest this evening is Brooke DeBoer. Brooke began working in the film industry in college at the age of 20. She studied film at Rollins College of Winter Park, Florida, through an internship with the post-production house at Universal Studios. Brooke assisted with various types of post-production as a production assistant. She participated in the developing independent film industry in Ashland, Oregon, currently named number one for filmmaking in Ashland, Oregon, by working on two independent productions as second AD and production coordinator. Brooke served on the original developing board of the Ashland Independent Film Festival and now serves on the advisory board. Brooke formed Top Top Media LLC to produce her television concepts and keynote videos. She has produced many keynote videos for nonprofits, assisting organizations to tell their story and generate funding to support their mission. Her years of experience as an independent filmmaker and anticipation on many film-related committees and boards as well as acting as the PR liaison for Derek DeBoer's racing career, provides the perfect skill set to spearhead Fast Life TV. The show is a documentary-style reality series and behind-the-scenes look at what it takes to become a professional sports car driver in the world of competitive racing. The show follows Derek DeBoer, a regular guy, husband, father of three girls, auto dealer, and athlete in his pursuit of his dream job, being a pro driver in the world of sports car racing, all from the perspective of his wife, a filmmaker. 
You can watch as this family works to support Derek's dreams and pursue their own dreams of filmmaking, ski racing, dance, and equine sports and training. We are now pleased to welcome Brooke DeVore to the program. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me on the show. I feel so honored. Usually it's Derek getting the interviews. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on. Um, my first question, after attending college in Florida and working with the Universal Studios, how did you end up deciding to live in Oregon? Well, my family was in Oregon. I was um, born in Florida but raised in Oregon, so Florida was kind of a connective piece for me, and that's where I went to college. But then I came back to Oregon to kind of regroup after I graduated from college. The school that I went to did not have a filmmaking major. I had thought a few times that I might switch over and um, transfer to a film school. But once I found the internship at Universal Studios, I decided to stay. And once I graduated, I decided I need just a little regrouping time. So I came home to um, live with my family for a very short time. And in that very short span of time, I think it was within about three months, I met Derek. And we fell in love. And um, we had actually met four years prior, but did not connect in the form of dating. We just sort of saw each other and tried to connect, but it didn't happen. And then you know, rekindled the connection when I came back and sort of changed my life path. Um, I had to make a decision, you know, was I going to go for career or was I going to go for love at that point? Um, Derek, Derek went out and um, he was from a, the reason why the decision was kind of needed to happen was that he was from Southern Oregon and it's kind of a small town down here. So, and at the time, you know, there's a little little film community down here, but nothing too crazy big. So I pretty much thought that I was giving up my dream when I met him and moved down here. But I was in love, and so that was my priority. And um, so I ultimately uh, found, though, in short order, that actually there was filmmaking down here. I'm, I do a lot of praying when I'm not sure... What when I'm making decisions, I pray about those things. And so I did a lot of praying because I felt really disappointed that I might have to give up that career. And ultimately it was Derek and his family business down here. They have some properties and met a film crew that was here to do an independent production. And um, so he referred them to me and me to them, and I ended up working on their independent film. And then his father had clipped an article out of the newspaper about a developing film festival um, and handed that over to me and said, I think you might be interested in this. And so I met with Steve and D.W. Wood, who were the masterminds behind what is now one of the top festivals in the world. Hmm. Um, and I was on the original film festival board for that and um, helped to just sort of create the festival from the ground up. And so I feel very proud of that opportunity. It was with a great group of people, and um, we were able to achieve an amazing thing. And we're, we still participate in the festival. It's been a source of inspiration for me every year. I attend. We donate. Um, and it's, it's a way to kind of keep my creative juices flowing when I'm between projects to go and see inspiring films other filmmakers are making. So it's been quite a road. Sounds like it. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about the uh, Chop Chop Media? Uh, yes, Chop Chop Media is my little company. Um, it was formed in 2007 when I met, um, well, I was working with a couple other filmmakers in town, too, as a result of the work with the festival and some of the other connections that were happening with the local Southern Oregon Film and Media Group here. I met a couple of great producers, um, Rod Burton being one of them, and um, but he and I and another partner, Dennis, got together and decided to, I brought them a concept of yet another um, car racing reality show, which was yet again about Derek, because that's what I was living and seeing and participating in. At the time, he was running a Chevy Cobalt in the Grand Am uh, Rolex series, so I was um, observing this amazing thing coming together before my eyes because he and a local guy who does more engineering and car uh, restoration and rebuilding also had a dream of racing. So they bought a Chevy Cobalt, gutted it, and made it into a race car in Tom's garage, Tom Smirzinski, good friend. Um, and so Derek and Tom, you know, created this team. We had all kinds of volunteers who'd work into the late hours of the night. And I thought, this is just amazing what they're able to accomplish with very little budget and so much passion. So I thought, other people need to hear this story. And also, mm-hmm. D- Derek, as you know, is a sh- Chevrolet car dealer. Um, that's his family business. Is One of our manufacturers is Chevrolet. And I thought, well, we could really put something together here. We could contact Chevrolet and maybe they'd want to sponsor the show, and we could promote them with the Cobalt. And ultimately, we were turned down by Chevrolet because they were focusing that year on Silverado. They probably plan years ahead for what car they're going to be really pushing. And um, But we continued to do something on our own and partnered with Warren Miller Company. I don't know if you're familiar, but they did the old ski films, um, some of the most famous downhill ski racing films and extreme skiing films. So... We partnered with them, and um, they ultimately tried to sell it to Speed Channel when that was still in existence and a couple of others. And we just kind of hit it at a bad time where budgets were running out. It was the end of the season of selling shows. And so they asked if we wanted to hold or just give up entirely. And I didn't really answer them, but I just kind of moved on from that project because other family things kind of came up. And then Derek Mm -hmm. ultimately sold out of the Cobalt team. So when he sold out of the team, that was all over a span of a couple of years. We kind of tabled that project. And I kind of lived with a a little bit of disappointment about that. But I also, like, you know, the idea was still alive. Like, I still thought that there was something we needed to do based on things I had seen behind the scenes. So um, that's how Chop Chop Media was formed to sell that show. And then I just kept it and worked on other corporate videos and different nonprofits that I was passionate about. I'd tell their story to help them make money for their organization and whatnot. But I still had this dream of creating a, a, you know, documentary series about somebody following their dream, and particularly Derek, because I felt like that was just something that I was very passionate about. Not only do I love him and he's my husband, but... Um, I also thought that it would help him, you know, for publicity purposes. So it it kind of served multiple purposes. So that kind of, I guess, takes us to Fast Life because that was kind of Mm -hmm. the beginnings of the idea, you know. 
So, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, yeah, talk a little bit yeah. more about the Fast Life TV and how we can find out more information about that. Sure. Well, we have multiple ways that you can find out about us. For now, we're on um, YouTube. Uh, it's youtube.com forward slash fastlifetv. We have a Facebook page, which is in development right now, So, but it's a great place to just kind of like if you're interested in our content so that as we start ramping up our marketing for this coming series, you'll be able to get notifications, and that's facebook.com forward slash show. And then, of course, there's Derek's Facebook page, for which we'll be cross-promoting on, which is facebook.com forward slash driver Derek DeBoer. And Fast Life TV basically is the story of Derek um, going after his dream and passion of being a professional race car driver um, under the umbrella of the racers group, TRG Aston Martin, which is the North American Aston Martin racing team, which he's talked to you about some. Um, It also includes our family aspect. It's narrated by me. There are... Um, Derek's insight is throughout the series and there basically I've been filming for three years all of our personal experiences behind the scenes of Derek making this happen it's taken a lot of hard work it's taken a lot of perseverance it's taken courage it's taken stepping outside of the box because he he you know is helping his father run a family business and there were concerns that you know if he left the family business. He wasn't going to be able to be responsible for the obligations that he had here. Um, so there was a lot of sort of challenges that he's had to sort through to be able to be a race car driver at the level that he dreams to be. And so our story is called The Fast Life, and it is definitely the fast life. Like, I joke with Derek because I'm always like 10 steps behind him and usually running. Like, he operates very quickly. <laughs> and so the name Fast Life just came from, like, living this life with this person who just, you know, is very fast in everything mm-hmm. that he does. He, um, he is on the racetrack, and he works quickly and you know, strategy in his business and everything else that he does. And um, it's, it's a fun life. It, it has its challenges, too. And so some of those we show in the series um, – particularly just the stress and strain on our family because there's a lot going on when you're committing to racing at this level. I mean, there's a lot required of you. There's testing dates and there's events that you're expected to show up for and represent the team. And there's, you know, on the fly things that happen with sponsors and potential sponsors. And um, we also have three girls, 19, 16, and 10. And I don't believe in handing over my kids to other people to raise. So I've chosen to do this business and be a mom to my kids. And Mm -hmm. so um, there's just a lot of things pulling us in different directions. Um, And so the show is about that. It's about the racing. It does provide some facts. It shows the different tracks. It shows the different races we go to. It talks about, you know, the series that he's running in for Early World Challenge. Um, there's some, you know, you get to know some of the, his lead mechanic and the team owner, Kevin Buckler, you'll get to know them a little bit throughout the series. And it's just a really great inside look at what it takes to be a pro racing driver. Cool. And what's the most difficult part of, about being in a racing family? Ah, gosh, there's quite a few. (laughs) (laughs) The most difficult, though, I need to answer this properly. 
I would say the most difficult part is, I'm thinking here, so I want to answer this honestly. I think it's just the demands of the schedule. And I think second to that would be the fear of an incident happening on track. Mm -hmm. And I think intertwined with that is the sense of responsibility I feel because I have been one of his biggest promoters and fans to do this. And some of the family has expressed concerns about the safety of it. And so I guess the responsibility of knowing that I've promoted it in a way but the reason why I have is because I don't believe in any part of my being that if you have an idea of what your dream is to do, that you should not do that, if that makes any sense. I believe that even if there's risk, doing what your heart is calling you to do is probably the most important thing in your lifetime. And so I have to table the concerns about the risk and the other things, because I saw that in Derek. I saw that passion and that desire in him to do this, and I see how happy he is doing it. So I guess that's the best answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much. I'd like to throw you out to my co-host, Michael Mullally. has a couple of questions for you as well. Okay, great. So my first question is, have you ever, not like maybe racing, but have you ever considered, like, have you ever had the thought of, you know, I think I'd like to drive a race car today. Like, have you ever considered testing out a car yourself? Yes, yeah, funny you should say that, because early in Derek's racing career, when he was with Skip Barber, um, you know, learning how to do this, he signed me up for a driving class. So I didn't do the actual racing, full racing course, but um, he signed me up for a driving class that they did at Skip Barber in the infield of the Laguna Seca Raceway course. So I got to race a Viper. We raced it in Cone, and I raced with a, I had a nice older gentleman that partnered up with me. We actually had a driver change in the process of this race, and um, we were different sizes, so that was kind of interesting. But we raced the Viper, and we actually won. <laughs> I was so nervous, too. But we actually won our race in the infield of the Laguna Seca track, and I was pretty stoked about that. And after that experience, I thought, hey, maybe I could do this. And then I had to really check myself because I think I'm a little more risk-averse than Derek is. Like, I rode in with Michael Miller. He was also a racer in many series. A friend of ours, um, he took me in the Viper on the actual course of Laguna Seca, and I have, I was so, that was my first time in a race car with an actual race car driver. Now I refuse to go with anyone except for Derek. Well, with the exception of, I rode with Kevin Esther in the McLaren, and we had a little, little bobble, went off track a little bit. So I tried to stick with Derek, but when I was with Michael Miller, I got, it was pretty scary for me to be that close to the walls. So I realized I think it's okay if I film and Derek drives, ultimately. <laughs> so at first, like, what sparked your filming obsession? Like, what fascinated you about filming? Gosh, it's in the very beginning of filming? Yeah. Okay. 
Um, oh, I think it's just my love and of learning and my interest in figuring people out and learning how to live the best life that you can live. And for some, like movies were always very inspiring for me just to even go and watch. I would always look for morsels of wisdom or inspiration um, just in watching films. And then my brother and I, when we were really young, like teenagers, like we'd, used to, we'd make films and we kind of explore different things. Unfortunately, our first film was um, sort of creating a parody. This is horrible. Please don't judge me about the Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan situation because she was from Oregon, Tanya Harding, and when she hired those people to take out the Olympic ice skater. And so we created this, we kind of recreated this little film. I think we were just exploring, like, such an atrocious thing to happen, and we kind of turned, you know, like we changed it into a bit of a comedy and stuff like that. It was maybe our way of dealing with situations, which I kind of think film is a good tool for that. It's a good tool for exploring, um, just exploring humanity and the strength of the human spirit. So I think that's probably it for me. Hmm. So let's, so being a racer's wife, what does the typical race weekend look like for you? Do you kind of have to like, I don't want to... I don't know how to, like, word this without it sounding, like, ridiculous. But no. you kind of, like, you know, almost like, you know, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. But what does the typical race weekend look like for you as his other half? Yeah, feel free and stop me and ask me a more specific question if something sparks your interest. But ultimately, I go usually a day or two later than Derek. We've decided that works best because I can stay with the kids and they can get more schooling in and stuff. Um, I don't have to leave them with a caregiver for quite as long. I can be a mom to my kids. But then when I get to the racetrack, um, well, first of all, I have to plan because Kevin Buckler always has great events to go to with PRG. So I always have to plan my outfits out before I go. And that's kind of fun for me because we live in a small town. We actually live on a ranch. So I don't get to dress up as much as I probably like to. So I get to plan all my outfits and then I get there. And usually I'm bringing lugging film equipment. I've actually got not too heavy of a weight of a, a gear, but I do, you know, I have to figure all out how to pack all that. And then I fly. Usually I get there on a Thursday and there's usually, um, usually I meet up with Derek. Oh, I don't know. We have events. We check into the hotel, or he takes me to the hotel. He kind of briefs me about the weekend. Um, usually he's practicing, so I go out to the track. I say hello to everybody. And honestly, this team in particular, I'd be so sad if we left because they're like my family. I, I feel closer to some of our teammates at, sometimes than I do our own family. Um, they're the most amazing people. So I make sure I make my rounds at the track, and I say hi to all my friends and family and see, you know, and then I kind of get a, usually a debriefing from Derek about what he's working on or what he needs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll go off and do something, but because I'm filming, I'm usually with Derek. I'm usually at his side and I'm usually capturing a lot of the action, which is probably a little untypical. Usually wives or girlfriends might be going off to lay at the pool or do something fun. 
Um, I find filming fun, so I, I follow him around. I do tire myself out a lot. Usually by the end of the weekend, I'm pretty exhausted. But Thursday is generally practice. Friday is usually uh, qualifying. Saturday and Sunday are races. So I sometimes Derek will let me sleep in if I can get a ride to the track another way so I can not have to get up at god-awful hours, you know, because he gets, he gets antsy and he wants to be at the track very early. So, um, yeah, and I just I sit close to him and I talk to the engineers a lot. Um, I, I do, you know, work on relationships with our sponsors or potential sponsors. It's always good because I'm a little more available than Derek is. So I'll mingle with them and make friends with the wives. I usually I have a lot of good friends now who are wives of supporters of the team, and um, you know, um, and then of course when racing happens, I'm a weird one. I, I've noticed that all the different wives do it differently. Um, my routine is I stick with John Graham, our lead mechanic, and he tell he has a routine with me too. So he knows I like to be on the radio. I like to hear what's going on for Derek. I don't talk on the radio except for maybe just to wish him well at the beginning. But I'll stay on the radio because I like to hear what's going on. I feel like if I have information, for some reason that's gonna make me more calm, you know, than and then I have friends who go up in the stands and they have a place that they watch their husbands because they prefer that. They don't wanna hear the information. For me it helps to be and I go right down to pit lane. And I watch everything from there. It's not the best vantage point always, but you have the most information. <laughs> so that's kind of, I guess, the weekend. Did you have any other questions about it? or? No, you, I think, specified. Um, but I do have one more question for you before I sure. take it back to Adam. So you have been filming for quite a while and you've been filming yeah. your husband's racing for a while. What has been the greatest racing moment that you have captured? Oh, okay, that's easy for me. Um, the greatest, great, and I, this is going to sound maybe a little, I don't know, is the word taboo or something? <laughs> or ironic? I'm not sure what it is, but it's Road America because he won there. And it was his first win in professional racing. And it was such an amazing moment because he, like, dominated for the most part in that race. Like, it was, it was a battle to some extent, but he just really shined in that race. And we had worked so hard. There had been, there have been so many obstacles for us, which you will see in Fast Life TV. I mean, we had sponsors leave us at critical times when we were just beginning his pro racing career. Um, we've had a lot of just different um, roadblocks to him being able to do this. And so that's why I hope you all watch Fast Life TV because, and when it comes out, because you'll be able to see everything that it took to get to Road America, and then to have him win and do so well in that race was is very satisfying. Well, we'd like to thank you very much for coming on the program this evening, you and your husband, and wish you all lots, lots of luck for the rest of the year, and hopefully we get to get to see you throughout the next year and beyond as well. We look forward to seeing the show as yeah. well. That should be cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, if you just um, encourage your fans to 
find us on those platforms and then keep an eye out for us. We'll be streaming on a um, premiere platform very soon, towards the end of fall, early winter. And we're a we're kind of a I guess I'm a one woman show on the producing of the show. So if any marketers or sponsors want to come on board, it's going to be great opportunities to highlight your company or product. So we'd love to have partners come on board at some point too and have people watching and supporting. Thank you so much. Thank you. And hopefully we get to talk to you again sometime as soon as the show gets on the air, we can have you back on and talk a little bit more about it. Absolutely. I would love that. It was really nice talking to you. Yeah, thank you very much. Have a nice evening. Thank you. You too. Once again, that was Derek DeBoer and his wife, Brooke, who are working currently on Fast Life TV. And Derek has a, a lot of racing coming up on the schedule, so be sure to follow him this season. He'll be racing in the Circuit of the Americas on September 2nd and 3rd, coming up in another month. Actually, less than a month. Just less than a month. And then he'll be driving the California eight hours at the Laguna Seca the following month in October. So that should be interesting. That international GT series they're racing that race for looks kind of kind of cool. I wonder if they're going to expand a little bit more in the in the states. Hopefully they do. That'll be interesting as well. Be sure to check out past episodes of Thursday Night Thunder, as well as the other shows on the Speedway Digest Radio Network at speedwaydigestradionetwork.com. You can also check out the show on Facebook by searching for Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder in the search bar. I also invite you to read the articles covering all aspects of motorsports at SpeedwayDigest.com. Be sure to check out the racing news section. I put out 19 articles yesterday afternoon involving all different sorts of motor racing. Uh, one of the biggest articles was that we alluded to a little bit was about the Formula E series and the changing uh, things there with Porsche moving into the uh, into the Formula E series next year. Mercedes will also be moving into the Formula E series next season, so that should be pretty awesome. And I'll be putting out an article on that probably tomorrow, so be sure to look out for that. In addition, if you're a fan of South Florida and who is, be sure to check out the latest news and information about our slice of paradise at Palm Beach Happening, which can be found by visiting palmbeach.happeningmag.com. We've had a great week with the uh, with Palm Beach Happening. We just put out a review of the uh, the Florida Supercon, which took place in Fort Lauderdale over the weekend. Uh, we actually were able to to work with uh, with Kyle from View for the from the Cheap Seats, who allowed us to use his video review of the event um, for Saturday. Uh, keep in mind that Saturday was not the marquee day for the uh, for Florida Supercon. It had lots and lots of issues. So be sure to check out the article on the on the Florida Supercon on Palm Beach happening. I'm sure you'll you'll think it's it's pretty cool. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next week in the Thunderdome as we discuss the major issues in the world of modern auto racing. Have a nice evening, and be sure to enjoy the Northwest Nationals this weekend. Hopefully we have a a lot of great news to share about that on next week's program. Absolutely.